It's good to see this number here this morning. Uh, we also appreciate very much those of you who are watching at home or wherever you are. And uh, I again want to encourage you to take notes on the things that we studied together this morning. Uh, don't ever take my word for things that are said or the word for any other person in religious matters. We need to make sure it's God's word, nothing more than that and nothing less than that. I feel very privileged realizing that no one has taught more classes or preached more sermons at this congregation than I have. And that's been a tremendous blessing and privilege to me. And I really appreciate this congregation. Uh, I used to tell you when I preached full time and all the time, I haven't told you in a while, but I love this congregation. It's one of the greatest that I've ever been associated with, the greatest. And I love and appreciate each one of you and those of you who are unable to be with us, I really miss seeing you and I hope to see you again very, very soon. I hope that this will all end and we can all come together again uh, and, and, and worship God in the same place. It's God's desire that every person hearing this lesson goes to heaven. First Timothy 2 and verse 4 says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When a person is saved from his past sins, God adds that individual to his church, Acts 2 and verse 47. Satan does not want any of us to be saved. One of the things that Satan does is that he attacks the church. He says that everyone should attend the church of their choice. And from a human standpoint, that may sound pretty good until we stop and think about it. If we stop and think that, well, I'll just attend the church of my choice, in effect, I'm saying, never mind what God wants. What I want is important, and so I'm going to pick out where I want to attend and where I want to worship and how I want to worship. No one should be surprised that the New Testament has a great deal to say about the Lord's church. The word church is used 114 times in the various contexts in 17 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And when we consider the price that was paid for the church, we understand how important it is to God, how important it ought to be to us, and the significance of understanding what it is. What was the price that was paid for the church? The Apostle Paul answers that question in Acts 20 and verse 28 as he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. It cost Jesus his own blood to purchase the church. Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. When a person sins, he puts himself under Satan. He becomes Satan's slave. 
Romans 6 and verse 16. In 1 Peter 5 verses 18 and 19, Peter tells us that Christians are redeemed or bought back by the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. This morning I want us to notice four word pictures that the New Testament gives us concerning the Lord's church. And the first picture is that of the kingdom of heaven. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, we read, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, we read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They had waited, been waiting for centuries for the kingdom of heaven to come. John says, Repent, because it's getting close. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. In verse 17, we read from that time, Jesus began to, to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, about three years later, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus wants his disciples to get a better, better understanding of what it was that he came to establish. It was not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. And so Jesus began telling them about his church that he was going to establish. And he uses the words church and kingdom interchangeably. In verse 28 of Matthew 16, he says, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, said, Jesus says, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. A little bit later, Jesus said to Pilate in John 18, verses 36 and 37, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus said, answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, 
For this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. God wants us to know that the church is a kingdom. In other words, the church is a monarchy. It is not a democracy. Jesus Christ is the king, and he has absolute authority. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Satan tries to attack the church. Satan says, no, you need to get the religious leaders together and they will vote and they will determine what you're going to teach, what you're going to believe, how you're going to worship and everything else. God wants us to know that Christians are never to make decisions by voting. Christians are to submit to Jesus as our king. In Luke 6 and verse 46, Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul speaks of Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the Bible before Acts chapter 2, the kingdom is always spoken of as something yet to come. It's, it's future. But after Acts chapter 2, the kingdom is already spoken of as being in existence. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says God has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us or conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Christians who submit to Christ as King enjoy all the wonderful rights and privileges of being in that kingdom. But along with all the rights and privileges that we have in that kingdom, we also have responsibilities. We have the responsibility of submitting to Jesus in all matters, putting him first. In Colossians 1 and verse 18, Paul says that he that is Christ is head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The word preeminence means to be first in rank. Jesus says in Matthew 6, in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Church is not a place where people go and, and, and sit down and, and look on as spectators. Satan has turned denominations into entertainment centers. But the church is a place where we must be involved. We must work in that kingdom. Christ pictures the church in one of his parables as going forth into the field of the world to reap the harvest. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. 
We cannot just come in and sit down and, and observe as onlookers. We must be involved, be active participants, zealous workers for the Lord. The Bible teaches us that the church is a kingdom. It emphasizes the oneness of the church. Again in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, I will build my church, singular. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, singular. It is the kingdom, singular. Well, the Bible gives us a second picture of the church, referring to the church as the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, as we have many members in one body, talking about our physical body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says the church, which is his body. Then in Colossians 1 and verse 18, he says he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So the church is the body, the body is the church. The church and the body are one and the same. Again, Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth. When the Bible talks about the church being the body of Christ, it wants us to understand the closeness that members have in the body of Christ. All of us must work together, function together as one body under our head, Jesus Christ. He is the head of his one body, the church. The healthy body, the church, obeys the head completely. And that's how we have unity and harmony and cooperation between all of the various members of that one body, the church. Turn your Bibles to Colossians, or 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a rather lengthy reading, but it's very important. It's easy to understand because all of us have a body, a physical body, and we can make application to the church. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, have all been made to drink in one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the, sm the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Brethren, if you're in the body of Christ, 
God set you there just as he pleased. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Regardless of how weak you may feel, you are necessary. Verse 23. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. God gave his physical body in order to purchase his spiritual body, the church. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul has already said in chapter 1, the church is the body, the body is the church. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Can you choose the God of your choice? No one would answer that yes. Can you choose the baptism of your choice? Paul says there's only one. Can you choose the Lord of your choice? Can you choose the Holy Spirit of your choice? Can you choose the body of your choice? The inspired apostle says, there is one body, just as there is one Lord, there's one Spirit, there's one God. One means one and only one. In the body of Christ we find all kinds of people, all kinds of members. Some are young, some are old, and some are in between. Some have been in the Lord's church maybe 50 or 60 years. Others are, are newborn babes in Christ. Some possess a great many talents. Others possess relatively few. Yet in spite of all of this diversity, God has put each one of us in it as he chooses. Every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us is important. And every one of us must work together in unity and harmony. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of the body of Christ, ask yourself, what is my attitude toward all the other members of the body of Christ? Do I treat them the way that I want them to treat me? Do I help them all to function together as a body of Christ? Am I working together with them in unity and harmony so that we can fulfill the functions of the body of Christ? Satan, God knew that Satan was going to attack the church. 
He was going to try to make people think it's not important. It doesn't matter. Some teach that the body of Christ is made up of all of the various different religious groups all over the world. So many people believe that. Oh, all of them together, they make up the one church. That cannot be true. Members of a body must be united. There can be no division in the body of Christ. Religious division is in direct contrast with Christ's prayer for unity. John chapter 17, Jesus knew he was about to leave his disciples as he was going to be put to death. He was praying for his apostles. But having prayed for them, he said in John 17, verses 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, by his authority, I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Religious division is sinful. It's a violation of God's word. It breeds skepticism and doubt. Whenever preachers spend time and effort trying to explain away parts of God's word, it's no wonder that people lose their respect for the scriptures. In Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Same is true for the body of Christ. The church is divided. That church cannot stand. So Paul writes in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, by smooth words and flattering speech. Deceive the hearts of the simple. There must be unity and harmony in the church. Every Christian should believe, teach, and practice the same thing. The only way for that to happen is for every one of us to give up our own ideas, to give up our own opinions, to give up our own ideas and doctrines and accept only the Word of God. Accept Christ as the sole authority in religious matters. 2 John verses 9 through 11 says, whoever transgresses, that means to go beyond, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. 
If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. In order to get into the body, a person must be baptized into Christ. That's the only way to get into Christ. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we can't be in him before being baptized. Then in Galatians 3 and verse 27, Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I'm in this coat because I put it on. I wasn't in this coat until I put it on. We're not in Christ until we put him on. We put him on when we're baptized into Christ. And when we're baptized into Christ, God adds us to the church or the body of Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says, For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Why is it important to be in the body of Christ? Again, Ephesians 5 and verse 23. It says, The husband is the head of the wife. It's also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of what? The body. He's the Savior of the body. As we look at the third picture the New Testament gives of the body of the church, it's pictured as the bride of Christ. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Paul says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. The church is to be married to Jesus who died and was raised for us. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Paul writes, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. When the Bible pictures the church as the bride of Christ, it pictures the love that Christ has for his church. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Men, is one bride just as good as another? Just let me have a bride, any bride, it doesn't, no. You want your bride. Why did Christ die for the church? Why did Christ give himself for her? Paul answers in Ephesians 5 and verse 27 that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Consider again what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Paul said he wanted to present the Christians as 
a chaste virgin to Christ. That word translated chaste means pure from every filth, every fault, not contaminated in any way. That's the way God wants every Christian to be. James says in James 1 and verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And the Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ. It emphasizes our responsibility to be faithful and loyal to our groom. We're to be faithful even until death. Revelation 2 and verse 10. And James 4 and verse 4. James talks about our involvement in the, in the world being spiritual adultery. But if we're faithful, not even death can separate us from Christ. The Bible talks about the church being the bride of Christ. Again, it emphasizes the oneness of the church. Christ is not a polygamist. He doesn't have many brides. Again, in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, Jesus talks about my church. The gates of hell not... Hades not prevailing against it. The kingdom. There is only one. But fourthly, the Bible pictures the church as the family of God. Last week we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul wanted to go to Timothy, but he said, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He's not talking about a building, a physical building. Acts 7 verse 48 tells us that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. God dwells in the hearts of Christians. God is the Father in that family. When Jesus was teaching his apostles to pray, he said in Matthew 6 and verse 9, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this family, Jesus is our elder brother. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies, that is Christ, and those who are being sanctified, are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We have an example of that while Jesus was here on the earth. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. We read, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples, and he said, Here are my bro mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. In Matthew 28 and verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go up to Galilee, and there they will see me. Matthew 25, Jesus says that on the day of judgment, we're going to be judged by how we treat one another. Those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are sick and in prison and various things. And in verse 40 of Matthew 25, it says, The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And talking about the church as the family of God, it emphasizes the closeness that we have to each other. We are all brethren. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is family. This is God's family where we love each other. In times of need or trouble, we look to one another for help, for support. This is where we find it. We're working together as a body of Christ. We love each other. We serve one another. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23, Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We're born into God's family where there is the greatest love on this earth. And recognizing the church as God's family, again, emphasizes the oneness of the church. All of God's children are in his one family. God isn't immoral. He doesn't have children outside of his family. May we always remember what the church is. The church is the kingdom of heaven here on earth. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the family of God. When we recognize what the church is, it ought to open our eyes to the importance of being part of the church. God adds all of those who are saved to the church, to the kingdom, the body, the bride, his family. Turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Here Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon. We're not going to read all of this sermon, but we'll look at the very end of it. Acts 2 beginning with verse 36. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and exhorted, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Verse 47 says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Now in that text, God reveals very plainly his terms of entrance into his family, into the church. First of all, people need to hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, Paul says, For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom knew not God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's why Jesus commands to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16 and verse 15. Being taught God's word is what gives us faith. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If we haven't heard the word of God, we cannot have faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so faith gives us the right to become children of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So it's impossible to please God without faith, but with faith we have the right to become children of God. But we cannot become his children without repenting. In Luke 13 and verse 3, Jesus says, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In Acts 17 and verse 30, Paul says, These times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. But if we've heard the gospel, we believe it, and we repent of our sins, then we, like those who gladly received his word, can be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And when we do that, God will add us to his church, just like he's done every day since that day in Acts chapter 2. But what is going to happen to those who refuse to obey the gospel? Paul answers that in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. He says God was going to take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. We plead with you today. We plead with you to accept God's grace. Accept his terms. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? John 3 and verse 5, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Don't you want to be a part of Christ's body? That's where salvation is found. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. In fact, all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Don't you want to be a part of the bride of Christ? But that bride must be chaste. That bride must be pure. That bride must be faithful until death. Don't you want to be a part of God's family? Only those who obey him are in his family. Those who reject him don't even have a right to pray to him. Proverbs 28 and verse 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Friend, again, we plead with you this morning. Accept Christ's terms of salvation. If you're hearing this, you're not present this morning, please contact us. We'd love to help you. But if you're here this morning, and we can help you to become part of the church or to be more faithful in the church, we invite and encourage you to come right now while we stand and as we sing.